So, the amateur draft started yesterday, and we now have uh, 1 through 10 completed. Uh, those of you that were with us from the beginning saw uh, picks 1 and 2. I still have picks 3 through 10 and got some video uh, that we put on our Twitter feed this afternoon, at uh, Daily White Sox on Twitter. Uh, where you can find lots of minor league highlights. And uh, there is lots and lots of info and uh, lots of highlights from all the affiliates, which is uh, there's uh, only a little bit from the ACL and there's only a little bit from the DSL. But Andy Barquette, the minor league hitting coordinator for the White Sox, has been really, really awesome as of late um, with posting some of that stuff on his Twitter. And... uh, he tags us on it, so we retweet it, and uh, you get to see Lloyd L. Chappelle Jr. smacking home runs, and he's got a awesome swing. Um, and uh, it's really nice to see fans telling Andy Barquette what what's wrong with the guy's swing that's hit, hitting nothing but home runs and hitting like 600 in the DSL. Um, but, uh, you know, Twitter will do that. Um, so I'm going to go ahead and run uh, – <laughs> Rounds three through ten. Uh, we'll go back and talk about these guys uh, after we get back. Well, so there you have uh, rounds three through ten. I'm pretty happy with it. I think the the draft went really, really well. A lot of top end spin rate guys, uh, which is you know a departure from the way things used to used to be uh they play with what's called a bb core so it's kind of a uh hybrid bat it has some aluminum has some uh some other stuff in it and um so yeah it does have some uh additional launch on it and it does get going a little bit faster but i mean for a guy uh tim elko this year uh hit 24 home runs uh, but let's go ahead and start with the first guy, uh, Noah Schultz. Uh, again, high spin rate guy. His slider's above 3,000 RPM. I don't know if you guys saw our, you know, I don't know if you guys happened to uh, check out our Twitter feed and happened to see uh, yesterday I posted one of his sliders um, from, I think it was from the perfect game circuit that he was on. But, I mean, we're just looking at video game you know, a video game slider. It's kind of, it's a, you know, with the speed that it's at, you know, somebody commented that it's a little bit more like a slurve, which I'll agree. Cause it's, you know, mid seventies. Um, so yeah. And his arm slurve. angle. Yeah. His arm angle, uh, makes it a little less of a slider as well too, because he's already coming across the body. So it is kind of more of a slurve. Uh, I don't know if I would call him. He's somewhere between three quarters inside arm. He's not a full sidearm pitcher, but he's close. And uh, for a lefty, that's gonna that's gonna play to his advantage against uh, some hitters. You don't see a whole lot of that in in the big leagues anymore. So I think uh, you know, like you said, along with his spin rate, uh, they say he's touched as high as ninety eight on his fastball, but he usually generally in the ninety three ish range. But for a kid coming out of high school to be touching ninety eight, you know, from time to time. Pretty stinking spectacular, if you ask me. And I just, you know, let's just hope that uh, the arm holds up. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, I, you know, th- there's always the thought of, you know, when you get a guy that's throwing mid nineties, you know, up to ninety seven, ninety eight miles an hour. If if he's touching that high, you know, there's always that worry about that kind of thing. Um, but uh, yeah, he's a local kid from uh, you know he, I think he went to Oswego, and uh, his, yeah. his family's from Aurora and uh, Grimtall. You'll be happy about this. He's a Dodgers fan, a lifelong Dodgers fan, and uh, always loved Clayton Kershaw. So let's hope that uh, I mean I'm not saying yeah. I'm just saying uh, it would be Mr. Shirley talking about him uh, playing for his uh, home team. I mean, yeah, I guess you know being that he's from the area playing. Uh, for the White Sox, I guess would be a home team, but he did grow up a Dodgers fan. So yeah, exactly. So and there's you know uh, the other guy, uh, Tyler Schweitzer, um, a guy out of uh, pitcher out of uh, Ball State, left-handed pitcher out of Ball State, uh, lifelong Cubs fan. And if you go to his uh, Twitter profile, he's got the Wrigley marquee on his uh, 
his posted photo, so he's going to need to change that. I mean, he could still keep the uh, the Wrigley marquee on his on the top of his Twitter profile, but it's got to be the uh, congratulations White Sox uh, picture <laughs> picture on that. Um, <laughs> sad to say, sorry there, pal. Um, but uh, yeah, I'm the the Noah Schultz pick is uh, you know another prep guy. Um, we've been picking more prep guys. Uh, I think it's the first time that they've taken a. I think it was said that it was since 2001 or 2002. I can't remember exactly, but uh, that they've, you know, since they've taken a prep pitcher in the first uh, because, you know, they took Jared Kelly, but they took him in the second round, took Crochet in the first uh, a couple of years back right. in 20. So, um, but uh, yeah, I just the, the, the combination of uh, just his arm angle and the velocity and the spin rates um on a six nine frame yeah on a six nine frame if you watch his fastball um it's got like uh more of a uh, a two seam kind of action on it it's got like six to eight inches of uh horizontal movement on it uh arm side for him and it just looks like he's just really really hard to square up which is awesome i mean it's just uh one you know he's got stuff that you can dream on and i i get it you know and uh yeah, I mean it's almost. Yeah, I mean it doesn't get the uh, you know quite the uh, the downward motion of the screwball, but I mean it's it's uh, you know and, and it's got a lot of ta- it's got a decent amount of tail out to yeah, a right-handed batter. So it's, it's you know, and they've always said it's always been kind of a thing that you know a left-handed pitcher just it's impossible for them to throw a ball perfectly straight. Uh, myself being a left-handed pitcher, I can kind of attest to that, but I never had that type of movement that this kid has. Nor have I ever had the type of velocity that this kid has, you know. Uh, and you know, again, I'm six foot. I'm not six nine. So yeah, uh, just, uh, that that you know that leverage coming although, down on it, it's just nasty. I think if you go back and look at some of my, you know, like if you look at my baseball profile from the you know the Frontier League, uh, I think they had me listed at like six two, which like even with cleats on. <laughs> <laughs> really stretching it. So, uh, yeah, right. So, <laughs> uh, so yeah. in uh, round two, the White Sox go with a college starter who had Tommy John earlier in uh, 2022, uh, early 2022. And um, it was said uh, by, you know, the MLB Network guys that he would have been, you know, one of the top college pitchers in the draft had uh, he not had the uh, Tommy John and actually been able to pitch. And he's got a, a low amount of innings on him in college. Uh, it's, I think he's uh, something like 56 innings or something like that he's got in college. Um, but, you know, also nice velocity, has plus breaking ball, has a nice changeup. Um, you know, also, as mentioned in the chat, also huge spin rates, um, which is a – revelation for this White Sox team that uh, they're valuing this kind of thing, you know, after years and years of just getting guys that, uh, you know, more along the lines of a uh, Zach Birdie, you know, where spin rate's not particularly high and the fastball's coming in straight as an arrow. Um, these guys are getting some nice RPMs on their uh, on their pitches, and uh, it's got some movement on it, which is awesome. Um his numbers in college were fantastic, uh, but limited. So that's that's kind of a bummer. Um, but uh, you know, anybody that's going to be uh, in the top twenty picks in the first round of the draft, had he not gotten injured, uh, awesome value for him in the second round. Uh, he'll be back, you know, probably you know later this year, at least throwing off of a mound. You would hope. Um, but I guess we'll find out. We'll see how that uh, that goes. I mean, Tanner McDougal, who the White Sox drafted last year, the prep kid, who also uh, elite spin rates, best spin rates, and you know, for prep pitchers last year, he just got back on a mound uh, about a month ago, and uh, he's starting to throw as well. I'm sure he's probably going to make his way, uh, you know, into competition here soon i haven't seen any numbers for him uh in uh, the acl yet so i assume that he hasn't uh that he hasn't gotten back to doing that yet but um 
you know, it takes generally about, uh, you know, 12 months until these guys are thrown off a mound again. So, so I have to imagine that it's probably going to be early, early next year before he starts getting the competition in. So, uh, there's that. Um, so Jonathan Cannon, right-handed pitcher from Georgia in the third round, um, control guy, um, a control guy that still throws 96 miles an hour. Um, you know, one of the, you know, elite walk rate in, uh, you know, he's playing SEC ball and elite walk rate, not giving up a lot of runs. Um, they say that he's a, uh, a high floor, uh, low ceiling guy. Um, but you know, you're playing in the SEC, you're not walking guys, you know, he doesn't have the, uh, the elite slider, you know, but they said that his cutter's really good. Um, yeah, the knock on him is he doesn't have an out pitch. That's the that's the only thing that I've seen. You know, doing the digging on him is that he's missing the elite out pitch. If he had that, which you know possibly can still be developed, although I think he's what twenty three already, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So that's something he's going to have to learn pretty quickly if he wants to. You know make that jump to the next level. But, uh, yeah, he's missing that that pitch that's going to fool major league hitters on strike three. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, but you know. Solid like numbers, said, though. It's going to – that that's one of those things that's going to uh, – that's going to develop, you know. It's going to be um, – it's it's not going to be one of those things that right off the bat that he necessarily has. But that's, you know, again, that's fine. You know, uh, and you know, with it being a third round guy, oh, he's only twenty one. He's only twenty one. Oh, I'm sorry. And he was the. I'm like, oh, you know what? I'm confusing him from the kid with the, from Wake Forest. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. He's a little bit older. Yeah. Um, Is that it? Yeah. Yeah, I yeah, think there's a couple of guys that are a little bit older, but I mean, you know, again, you know, we're talking about college guys being a little bit older. Is, you know, white. Yeah, guys. the catcher. <clears throat> yeah, he's what? He's the one. Maybe he's the one I'm thinking of. It was twenty four. Uh, he's only twenty. I think that he's only twenty three now, but it'll be twenty four in August or something. Is what is okay. what uh, right. is what it was. But um, um, yeah, Paulette has elite cutter, and yeah, it looks looks like a uh, you know a lot of downward movement on it as well, which is you know, I and he's already got he's already got the elbow zipper, so you know, yeah, get that out done. of the way. He's already got the staples <laughs> on his arm, so. Um, you know, hopefully that that uh, that means that we won't be seeing that from uh, from him at all. You know, in the future, uh, no double double Tommy Johns. Let's hope. Um, yeah, right. But um, yeah, so uh, fourth round pick had brought up in the chat earlier uh, from UC Santa Barbara shortstop Jordan Sprinkle. Um, the you know the knock on him is the bat. And uh, that you know it wasn't as as good as it had been in the in previous years, and um, you know that's one of those things that we'll, we'll see how we'll see how it develops. But uh, elite fielder plus arm plus range steals a lot of bases. Um, great work ethic, from what I understand. Good dude. Um, so looking forward to uh, seeing. You know, it's one thing that the White Sox have been knocked for is. Uh, fundamental player development. Well, fundamental defense issues with you know their their picks, and that's been a, a big knock on them for you know a few years. I mean, you see the guys that are in Major League Baseball now for the White Sox, and uh, that's one of the things that's been pretty rough. You know, is the is the defensive aspect of things, and uh, for them to to go out and get a couple, you know, in the first first uh, two days here and get a couple of guys that are looked at as very, very good defensive guys um, is is promising. Uh, the other guy being the uh, um, the catcher, uh, Michael Turner, uh, plus receiver and uh, defensive backstop. Uh, but I'll get into him in a minute. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's, I'm really looking forward to seeing a plus defensive guy at shortstop, um, obviously, you know, on Sunday, the last day of minor league ball before the, uh, you know, what they got, you know, the on draft day, 
you know, for the first round, Colson Montgomery, almost one year, you know, a couple days after, you know, the actual one year anniversary, but he reached a 50 game on base streak. Uh, yeah, yeah. A home run in the first inning. And, um, you know, I don't think, you know, I think that Colson Montgomery's sticking at shortstop personally. I know that it's been brought up a lot. We've talked about it on here a couple of times. Um, but personally, I think he's sticking at shortstop. I don't care that he's a little bit taller. He has quick, t- you know, quick twitch muscles. You know, from uh, from his basketball days, he's got good lateral movement. Um, the only thing that I've seen from him is that he needs, uh, you know, he needs a little bit more uh, marinating on the uh, transfer and uh, and on the throw. You know, he's overthinking things a little bit, and uh, it's caused some errors. But I don't think that he's moving off shortstop. So. We'll see what happens with, uh, you know, with Sprinkle and uh, see if they move him over to second base. But uh, they also drafted a second baseman today, so we'll get into him in a second. Uh, fifth rounder, uh, Tyler Schweitzer, aforementioned uh, lifelong Cubs fan. Uh, we'll forgive him. <laughs> uh, Montgomery is number 53 or 54 on Baseball America's top 100 ranking. He's actually uh, top 50. I think 40. 43. On, I thought he was 40 on the nose. No, it's 43 uh, in uh, Baseball Prospectus's top 100. Um, from unranked to 43. Huge. Um, yeah, he's got, a, he's got a lot of time to work out his, his – uh, Kinks at uh, shortstop. I'm not. I'm not even remotely worried about Colson Montgomery. <laughs> of of all neither. the prospects that we've got, uh, he's the least amount of the worries. Um, the only thing that I'm expecting, you know, he's a 50 game on base streak um, right now. I think he's at. Uh, let's see, he's at 53 games that he's played this year because he hasn't gotten on in three games. No, he's at 50. Oh yeah, forty three for uh, baseball prospectus's ranking. Um, right, but he's at fifty games for his uh, his hitting streak, and he hasn't gotten on for three games uh, this year uh, since he moved up to Canapolis. And uh, somebody tweeted at me earlier today that he had been on in like twenty three of twenty five games of the ACL as well. So he's been doing it for longer than that. But I'm only you know everybody's only counting since you know low A ball. So uh, but. You know, 50-game on-base streak, huge. But, again, you know, the most games that he's ever played in a season is probably around 70 between, you know, his travel clubs and, uh, you know, the showcases, you know, the perfect game showcases and all that stuff. And his high school ball is probably around 70. So I'm assuming that when he gets around, like, 80 games or so, uh, not that he's going to continue the on-base streak for 80 games. I mean, that's, you know, pipe dreams and, and whatnot. It's absurd. Yeah, but... Um, it's, you is know, it, though, really? I, I, not I'm be. not saying it's not possible. Um, the longest streak in minor league baseball for on-base that I have seen is uh, 71 games, both done by Red Sox prospects, uh, Kevin Euclid and Kevin Millar. Both did 71. So... I mean, he's still got 21 games to go. So, I mean, we're talking like three and a half weeks of getting on base in every single game, and that's a that's a, that's a long flipping time. See, look at you. You're just you're just looking you're just looking for any way to drop the Greek god's name in our in our stream, aren't you? You know, I got we got the uh, you know Greek god of walks, which he's not Greek, but you know whatever. <laughs> and we've got uh, you know Yasmani Grandal down in. Uh, Triple A now, the Cuban god of walks. Uh, seems like every game he's walking once or twice a game. Uh, the on Sunday, I think he he walked twice. He didn't get a hit, but he got on base twice. Um, but uh, you know, I don't see Colson Monk anyway. I don't see him moving off a of shortstop. I see him sticking there. I don't see him going anywhere. You know, you got O'Neill Cruz who's six seven. Uh, you've got you know Seager, Trey Turner. You know, all those guys are plus six foot. Um, Seeger six four, I think. Uh, you know, there's there's a bunch of guys who are who are taller that are playing shortstop, and it doesn't seem to be stopping them at all. You know, I don't see any reason no. why Colson Montgomery should. You know, immediately honestly, I think a lot of these guys are are using that uh, using that that larger, lankier, longer frame 
uh, to their advantage to, uh, you know, get the balls in holes and, and extend their range just that much more. Uh, I think it's going to become more of a trend as things go on. And I'm surprised that it hasn't been more of a trend earlier because, like you said, as you mentioned these names now, it's becoming more and more of a thing. And it's it's kind of shocking to me that it wasn't a thing before. Yeah. But, you know, I digress. Yeah, it's mentioned that A-Rod was 6'4". Uh Former uh, White Sox uh, non-prospect, but uh, traded farm guy, uh, um, Fernando Tat E6 uh, Jr. Um, he's also 6'4". So, I mean, there there are plenty of guys that are above six six foot that uh, uh, Alexi Ramirez was tall as well. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of guys that are tall to play shortstop. It's just whether or not he can handle it. I don't see any reason at this point why he can't because his range is good because he's, you know, uh, Keith Law mentioned, I think, that he's not the quickest guy at shortstop, which, okay, fine, maybe not the quickest. Uh, yeah, Tot E6. Um, yeah, so – Uh, Yeah, I I just, you know, I don't see any reason to think that he should be moved off of it right now. Um, uh, Yeah, so anywho. uh, Yeah, and we're still talking about a guy who's in high A. There's going to be some time for development, uh, time for him to clean things up. And if the White Sox so deem time for him to move. But, you know, like you say, I don't see any reason for it. Uh, You know, it, it... I don't really like when they see these guys get moved around a whole lot anyway out of their natural position. I believe that might be part of the White Sox development issues where you take a guy who's been playing a position for, you know, 15 years. How dare you? Or longer. And you decide, well, you know, this isn't your spot anymore. Guess what? You're just going to have to learn. And there's going to be the folks out there that say, well, these guys get paid millions of dollars to play the game and they should just go ahead and perform wherever, wherever I put them and wherever, wherever, wherever me is the armchair, Tony LaRusso Stan is going to put them. I was they just, just going to say because in chat, it says, <laughs> you know, you bring Colson up now and TLR is going to put him in right field. Put Timmy in right? No, that's what that's what it says in the chat. But I'm I'm saying if he gets brought up, TLR's putting him in right field. Oh yeah, just put him in right field. Why not? You know, left-handed bat. You know, uh, yeah, just put him in right field. He'll be he'll be fine. We're bullish on the future of one Colson Montgomery. Um, I will actually disagree. It says, although Tatis isn't great at shortstop and has gotten hurt a lot, yet he has gotten hurt a lot, but. Tatis is actually very good at shortstop. Great range. The problem is, is that his arm's wild. It's not that he's not a good shortstop. The guy's got a great glove and huge range. Uh, just the issue of not being able to throw it to first. He's got that, uh, got the yips, you know. Um, forget who there's a bit of Shawan Dunstan in him. Yeah, there's there's a little bit of that. There's a little Chuck Knobloch, John Lester in him. Knobloch, you know, there you can't go. Throw first John base. Lester. Oh, that's a, well, that's a hell of a reference. There. I mean, I'm just saying. Um, but, uh, yeah, so oh, anyway, that was uh, fun. Tyler Schweitzer, <laughs> uh, Ball State, Mac Pitcher of the Year. Um, great numbers, at, you know, obviously. Yeah. Um, and you know he drops to the the fifth round, which you know being being the Mac pitcher of the year, unless the dude's throwing like you know ninety nine mile an hour gas, uh, with that kind of competition, they're gonna he's gonna drop down draft boards a little bit, but uh, you know very very solid numbers. Um, and you know he, again you know he's he's six foot tall, so he's not huge, uh, you know not a not a big guy, and you know people always worry about uh, durability when the guys get around like you know, six foot and lower, uh, you know, generating, you know, huge amounts of velocity. So, I mean, he's not, you know, throwing a hundred, but you know, it's always a concern with, uh, with those guys, uh, sixth round, Eric Adler, uh, right-handed pitcher, um, you know, uh, 98 miles an hour, high spin rate guy. Again, uh, he's got a cutter, uh, his command this, this year, uh, was, not the greatest. Uh, got some some uh, you know in previous years his uh, walk rate was down. This year it was up. Uh, command not not as good. Yeah, no. Raylo is six foot. Yeah, I'm not saying it's all guys. I'm just saying you know like that's always 
one of the things that they throw out there that if a guy's like 5'10 to 6 foot, you know, they're not the biggest guy. So, you know, there might be some durability concerns. I mean, there are plenty of pitchers that were 6 foot and below that were just fine and didn't uh, need Tommy John. But, uh, you know, it's always one of those things that's that's brought up. Um, but uh, Eric Adler, they're saying, you know, it's high leverage guy out of the bullpen. More more than likely, you know, he's throwing gas and, uh, you know, so there's that. And then uh, in uh, round seven, they take uh, Mark McLaughlin and, uh, again, uh, another relief type guy out of Tennessee. Best, you know, best program in baseball this year uh, for pitching. Uh, SEC, in the SEC, he's doing 13Ks for nine innings, you know. Uh, That's so, unbelievable. Yeah, 201 ERA in the SEC uh, as a reliever. Um, I didn't look to, look up to see what his whip is, but I'm pretty sure it's something. Uh, no, it is not Mark McGrath. Uh, this guy, I don't think he has frosted tips. Um, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, another high-leverage high uh, relief guy. Uh, you know how the White Sox like to go out and do this. Uh, most most teams are not running out and uh, drafting high leverage relief arms this early in the draft. You know, usually they end up getting starters that have you know the velocity and then transitioning to them them to the bullpen. The White Sox do not do that. They get guys that are you know always pen guys and high leverage guys with uh, really nasty spin rates and. Uh, it's nice to, you know, I I, I, I kind of think that this is why the White Sox don't have as many problems developing bullpen arms like, say, uh, the Phillies, uh, where they never have bull, you know, enough bullpen guys. I think that's probably the reason why the White Sox are uh, generally better in that aspect is that they, they do draft some, you know, bullpen guys fairly higher up before the other teams can get to them uh, because they generally – go a little bit later. And then, you know, that's also part, part of the reason probably why the White Sox uh, position players have suffered, you know, in the last uh, 10 years is because, you know, they're go they've been going out and drafting pitching early while the other teams are, you know, loading up on position players that are the uh, fundamentally sound kind of guys. So, you know, you can look at it either way, which, which way is better. Uh, but, I will say that I am appreciating the kind of, uh, you know, 180 on the draft strategy here that they've kind of done where they're, you know, at least willing to consider drafting some of these prep guys, you know, so that's good. Um, so yeah, uh, we shall see, uh, we shall really see coming up in the next few years here where uh, player development stands with all these drafts or all these uh all these prep kids being drafted. This is really going to be a, a a testament to where the White Sox are. Either is it going to hold true that uh, player development is going to uh, kind of stay below where we would like it to, or have some of the organizational changes in that department uh, really made a difference? So hard to say as of right now, but uh, we shall see. I, I'm uh, I'm kind of stoked, you know, about the direction of where the team could go in that department. And we've talked about that here a little bit, you know, some of the, the, the organizational changes in, in recent years. So, you know, but uh, at the same time, I'm, I'm not quite sold. You know, there have been some perplexing issues in that department, even after those organizations, organizational changes as well. So, yeah, but anyways, I digress. Let's, we can go ahead and continue on with our uh, giraffe analysis yeah, well, you know, there was the, uh, you know, I texted you before the White Sox made their pick yesterday, and uh, a bunch of people were saying that uh, Tucker Toman was going to be the pick. And my my one thought about that was that last year they drafted Wes Kath in the second round, a prep right, third baseman. Yeah, third baseman. So I was like, I was, I was going to be very surprised if they took Toman in the first, just because of that. I don't think that they want to cut West Cath off at the knees this early and, you know, like give him like somebody pushing him this early. I think that they'd at least give it a year, I would think, anyway. Um, so that's why I was not surprised that they went with pitching. Um, just my 
two cents. Um, no, so, and the amount of pitching is one thing, but the quality of pitching that they've gotten, and they, you know, they jumped out in front of, like you said, they, you know, they went out and got guys that were maybe uh, slotted in most mock drafts to go a little bit later. Uh, and the White Sox jumped out and made some moves to make sure that they got their guy. And I see no problem with that whatsoever. In the eighth round, the White Sox took Mario Camaletti out of Central Michigan, second baseman. One of the things that was mentioned in the MLB coverage about uh, Camaletti was that he was a very disciplined hitter and that he had over 200 walks in his college career. And, you know, they, they made it seem like he was saying that he's a high OBP guy. Um, now, if you go and look at his numbers, he's had 1,000 OPS a couple of times in a college season. And the guy has hit like 20 doubles, you know, a couple times in his college career. Um, the guy does have some pop in the bat. He's not like a, a punch and Judy hitter out there. And he's a solid, solid second baseman as well. Yes, he's got 200 walks and he is an OBP machine, which is, you know, again, this is one of those things, you know, when we're talking about uh, the uh, kind of, you know, 180 as far as the kind of guys that they're taking is that they're valuing high OBP guys. Uh, but, you know, at the same time, like I look at his numbers and yes, he's a high OBP guy, but he's punishing the baseball as well. His slugging percentage is, is fairly decent. Uh, you know, the home runs aren't particularly high. I think he had like seven or nine home runs or something this year. So not particularly high, but at the same time, Still generating some pop, you know. Yeah, it's. I think that's more than uh, Nikki Three Strikes has uh, ever had. Yeah, in a single yeah no, season. fair enough. I mean, said <laughs> magical didn't walk though. Yeah, no, that's 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 fair. Um, that's true too. Yeah, that that is that is fair. But I, I'm just you know throwing it out there that you know they made it seem like he wasn't like a uh, you know anything as a hitter. It was more just that he was a disciplined guy and whatever and. The guy has some pop in his bat, and he's still hitting. Till the you know. Sox screw up his approach somehow. Yeah, well, I you know I don't really think you know like it's like Colson Montgomery, you know, really high OBP kid, but he's still can he's still more than capable of smacking the ball around. Um, and I kind of right. that's kind of what I see from from him is that his batting average he's hitting like three sixty in uh, you know for Central Michigan and twenty doubles over a thousand OPS. So, you know, it's not like we're looking at a guy that is like a one trick pony and he just gets on base a lot. Like the guy can hit. So, um, yeah. And you know, the thing is too, is you, you know, I, I, I joke about the white Sox screwing up his approach somewhere down the line, but the reality is, is uh, a lot of these guys who are touted with having, you know, a, a good approach and having a great eye, you know, some guys are just born, with a gift of being able to see a pitch better than others, uh, you know, being able to pick up the spin, uh, being able to pick up the movement, you know, before it's time to pull the trigger, uh, you know, that's just one of those things that, you know, God given gift. You're just lucky to be to have that talent. Others, you know, work on it spend as much time in the cages as they possibly can and, and learn it as best as they possibly can. But, you know, usually when you've got that God-given gift and talent, it doesn't fall off, you know, unless you have some kind of, you know, weird eye disease or something. You need, you need to go out and get yourself some contacts or whatever. And usually it's it's one of those things that sticks around. So, you know, I'm all joking aside, I, I think the kid's going to be just fine and uh, yeah. in, in the OBP department. Yeah, I mean, uh, I'm happy to say that they've got guys that have a advanced approach and that they're drafting guys that right. have an advanced approach. You know, right. it's not, uh, you know, just drafting, shooting for the moon, you know, looking only at a guy's ceiling and athletic ability, actually looking at his baseball sense as well, you know? Right. Um, ninth round, Michael Turner, left-handed catcher out of Arkansas. Um, praise for his defense. Again, uh, one of those guys that uh, they kind of marginalized yeah. his uh, hitting ability. He's had a, between a 900 and 1,000 OPS over the last two years. 
uh, for Arkansas. And uh, yeah, hit some very, doubles. Yep. Yeah, nine Le- home he runs. Can nine. leg out a triple every now and again. Not a big power guy, but does hit the ball out of the park some. Yeah, I mean, I'll take a solid backstop. I mean, that's what they did with uh, Hackenberg. Not not huge numbers, and you know, granted, he was injured at Clemson as well. So right. that was another reason for uh, Hackenberg falling down the board. But uh, you know, I will take the defensive backstops that have plus arm and plus receiving skills. I will take that all day. Uh, and you know, the fact that uh, you know we're looking at nine hundred to a thousand OPS out of him is another thing that I'm, you know, I'm here for. It's that's great from for a catcher. That's perfect. Um, yeah, I'd rather see the guy with a with a high baseball acumen who is coachable and develop, you know, able to be developed, you know, uh than a guy like you say, a guy who's got a high ceiling and all the athletic ability in the world but just doesn't seem to quite get it or can't really put it all together. I think that's where the White Sox have kind of fallen short a little bit in the past, which, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, you know, you hear guys talk about drafting the best player available. But uh, when you see these kids that they're drafting now, you know, like you said, they've, they've got, uh, you know, like we're talking about catchers. He's a good receiver, uh, good arm, can throw some base runners out, uh, going to keep your pitchers honest. Uh and you know can get on base a little bit. All about that. Yep. I'm I'm absolutely 100 all about it. He doesn't have to hit 30 home runs here. Yep, doesn't have to. I mean, uh, like you know, we have Reese McGuire on the team for a specific reason, and it's not because of his bat. It's because he can handle the pitching staff. And you know, like right. we've had our uh, our fair, you know, fair amount of issues with you know, the defense in general on the White Sox. And, you know, for the most part, he's been fairly decent. So I'm not going to complain about uh, that trade one bit. And, uh, you know, they ended up getting rid of Zach Collins to to bring him over. And Zach Collins, you know, can't manage to uh, string. You know, he's a such a streaky hitter that, you know, when he gets – when he's out of it and when he's bad, he's really bad. When he's good, he's – Yeah, you would have thought good. his first – 30, 35 games or so this year, you would have thought he had found something. And unfortunately, it not did so not much. remain that way. Yeah, not it, it so didn't much. stick. Yeah, and Sebi's actually, he's been looking, uh, I mentioned in the chat, Sebi is looking a lot better. Uh, I mean, obviously, he's remembered how to hit. So there's that, which is a really awesome development considering that he hadn't you know had he completely forgotten how to hit since 2018 uh but for some reason you know he's looking a lot more competent you know competent slash confident uh taking swings with the bat which is a great development because he was like the thing was is that you know they brought him up here and everybody was like oh you know like we like him for his defensive ability you know you know he's better than Grandal, which he's not better than Grandal, but that's you know Grandal's had a knee injury for like a, a solid calendar year now um but uh you know sebi had actually gotten worse since he had been with the dash he's gotten worse at at defending you know at the catcher position and now he's been looking a lot better um, I don't know if it's comfortability with the staff that he's with or if it's the staff is not uh, challenging him as much and putting as many pitches in the dirt. That's probably certainly something to do with it. Uh, Bam might have – it helps. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. I mean, if you got guys throwing the ball all over the place, it makes it – you know, makes even the best catcher look like he doesn't know what he's doing because he's having to sit there and chase after balls that are, you know, spiked three feet in front of him, you know? So – um, you know, I see here. I'm sorry. I got. I have to address. This. Yes, I, I have to address this last comment in the chat. Grandal is your DH, and now I'm not saying that I disagree with this, but at the same time, if he comes back, you know, feeling healthy, and Aloy comes back after the break, and they they're saying he's healthy, and you know, you've got Andrew Vaughn. On this team, who's you know coming back, he, he obviously his bat after slumping a little bit has kind of come around in this last series, uh, you know, quite big actually. Uh, and you still got Gavin Sheets on this team. Like, how many DHs can we have? 
you know, and I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not arguing that Grandal could thrive in that role because, you know, again, on base machine, uh, the guy walks, he's got a great eye. You know, you do have Reese McGuire who's playing a, a good solid defense. You've got uh, Sebi Zavala doing his thing, you know, and can you afford to send any of these guys down? Especially, you know, like you said, Grandal having the knee issue for over a year now. Uh, it's, I just want to see where your head is at. And I know we're, we're, we're kind of getting off topic here a little bit, but I want to know where your head is at in that whole situation. Yeah. I knew that, I knew that's where this was going is that what do we do with, uh, the web slinger when Sebi Zavala is playing so well and you've got Grandal coming back. Um, you can't, I mean, I, you know, as silly as this sounds and with what, you know, Sebi has done at the plate this year. Do you the the worry is is that if you expose the web slinger to waivers, that he's gonna get picked off by somebody. Which I think is a fairly valid concern considering everybody's always looking for a backup catcher. Um now the thing that you have to that that they have to think about and they, they have to weigh is is the sample size of what Sebi's doing right now, is that a big enough sample size for them to determine that he's the guy that they're going to keep at this point? Because, you know, I would say probably McGuire, I mean, has an edge on him defensively, I would think. I mean... You know, he's not, again, he's not supposed to be the guy who's supposed to be starting six days a week. So that's not the guy you want as your, you know, if, if you're going to bring Grandal back and you want to put him at DH, that means that you're going to have to start somebody else at catcher every game. And I don't think that you can do that with McGuire. Now they have to figure right. out is, is Sebi the guy that they're going to, put faith in to be the catcher every day and offensively be able to be worth it defensively and offensively to make up for, you know, having to play two catchers at the same time. It's, it's going to be, it's going to be a difficult, uh, it's a difficult decision. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I agree that you can't get rid, can't get rid of McGuire, but the thing is, is that, you're eating. You're going to be if, somebody if has to come off the twenty-six man. Yeah, if you don't, you're going to have to carry an extra catcher. You're going to have to carry three catchers, which is you know never pretty. And um, you know, as mentioned in the trade, this Josh Harrison is has been hitting the ball better, so you yep. can't really dump him. You know, with our outfield in the shape that it's in right now, you can't send away you know, Adam Angle or, you know, any anybody who can play an outfield position. I would think, you know, the chances of Gavin Sheets going back down might be, you know, a thing when some of these guys start getting healthy. You know, the other thing to talk about, too, is, okay, so Grandal comes back. You know, that's one position. If we're going to keep three catchers, somebody on the 26th man has got to go, right? Now... The other question is, is Jake Berger was one of your best hitters in the first half before getting uh, put on the IL himself. Yeah, he started and, rehab uh, tomorrow in uh, Charlotte. Right. Yep. right. So it's only a matter of time. I, I think it's two weeks before he runs out of rehab time. So you're either going to have to uh, option him or bring him up. And, I, you know, with what he's done, both offensively and defensively, and I know a lot of people say, ah, you know, his defense has been shaky here and there, but, you know, usually when it's shaky, it's it's on a tough play, a tough yeah. hop, you know. Uh, he was more than solid, I would think, as a third baseman. Uh, Yohan swinging the bat pretty good, but I would like to see, you know, Berger on this roster personally because he's been, he's been a really solid addition to this White Sox team this year. So, if... If it's me, I'm saying Sheets is going to be the odd man out coming coming back if you're going to keep three catchers. I mean, it's possible. Which is going to be a difficult decision to make. But now who is the next odd man out 
when Jake Berger comes back in a couple weeks? Yeah, I mean, these are really, really tough questions for the White Sox to answer. They, they've painted here. themselves into the corner. That's the unfortunate thing is that having so many guys that are corner infielders and slash DHs. DHs, I mean, they've really painted <laughs> themselves into a corner with the roster, roster construction, and that's like one of the things that I've really complained about with the um you know the hoarding of prospects and with the use of their 40 man roster is that I feel like they've had too many of that same type player on their 40 man roster and it's it's really caused like a huge roster crunch especially with 2020 happening and a bunch of guys losing a developmental year that you know you didn't get that extra development time for these guys and it really screwed up you know how you were going to deal with that roster crunch coming, you know, um, right? Yeah, I, it's yeah, it's going to be a it's going to be a tough a tough trade deadline here. I think I, I don't know who's going to go, but somebody's going to be gone, and you know, it might be Berger because he is right-handed. I mean, it's mentioned in chat that you know Sheets is the only left-handed power bat, and you know. He fixed his swing down in uh, Charlotte. We talked about this last week that, uh, you know, CJ had him start to be aggressive again and stop looking to, you know, defend the corner and drive the ball the other way. It's in, he's now being aggressive and trying to drive the ball again, and that's that's really helped him. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's going to be really tough. It's going to be a tough trade deadline. We'll see. You know, we know that they, they're, they're going to make, you know, they're going to make some trades. Um <clears throat> I kind of think that uh, you know that they're going to be buyers. I don't see how. I mean, you asked me two weeks ago, and I would have told them. You know, I would have said that. You know, if things continued the way that they were, that you would probably, you know, at least sell off a couple of pieces. But with the way things are looking right now, they. I mean, you still got. Could always DFA Larry. Uh, Holy uh, God. yeah! Oh my gosh. Hey, we know what the odds of that are. Um, Come on now. <laughs> Come on now. There's no way that boy's going anywhere. Um, this chat is lit. <laughs> Come on now. No way. And I'm, and I'm not talking anywhere. about the lit, good lit. Somebody's somebody's been on the sauce. <laughs> um, so, uh, yeah. Uh, let's finish up the uh, the the last bit of the draft here. Uh, tenth yeah, sorry. Pick, uh, tenth round pick, Tim Elko. Uh, you know, I, in the video you see the guy had a torn ACL, goes out and hits a couple of grand slams on a torn ACL. Um, this year, uh, I think the last year with the torn ACL, he still hit 16 home runs. Um, and then this year he comes out and hits 24 home runs. Uh, right-handed first baseman, um, competent first baseman. Uh, I'm not going to say, you know, gold glove or anything like that. Um, oh, yeah, the – the yeah, yeah, Pollock, at, at what value? And the thing is is that if you trade Pollock, you know, that's one of the guys that you kind of get as one of those flavor guys that is the playoff experience, you know, going down into a World Series stretch. But anyway, um, yeah, so uh, apparently, you know, as – also mentioned in the in the video, uh, they call Tim Elko the Ted Lasso of baseball, and uh, that's fairly entertaining. Um, super nice guy. Um, I've seen some interviews on him, and he, I mean, I understand why they would call him the Ted Lasso of baseball because seems like a super nice guy and uh, super positive. And, um, you know, I got several, uh, tweets, uh, about him saying that the White Sox got a gem and that he's really, really solid guy. And obviously, you know, the, the power numbers, the dudes, he, he, he can put, you guys put saw the video, the baseball, you know, if you were here half an hour ago, 45 minutes ago, whatever, ah, probably a little bit longer than that now. But if you were here a little bit ago, you saw the uh, you saw the video, the celebration. Uh, yeah, he's uh, he's he's got some pop, and uh, you know, not to mention the fact that uh, he comes from Ole Miss, who uh, just within the last few weeks here has uh, won the College World Series, and he was a big part of that uh, that series. So, yeah.
Uh, he's got a little bit of a pedigree. For a 10th rounder, you know, I know some people don't expect much out of, you know, those rounds, you know, where you're getting past the third, fourth, fifth round. But, uh, you know, there's always a handful of guys that do something in the later rounds of, of the of the draft. And I shouldn't even see later rounds because we still got, you know. Still got 10 rounds left. Still got 10 rounds left. So it's it's more like the middle, you know, the back end of the middle rounds there. But, yeah, I mean, kid, uh Kid's definitely got some energy. I'll say that. Watching some of his clips at Ole Miss, uh, and he's, he really can hit the ball. Yeah, he can put a swing on it. That's for sure. You know, I, I like the pop and the fact that uh, you know we talk about value for the trades, but I mean, talk about value for a pick in the tenth round. That guy seems like you know. I don't know too much about the defense, but the but the the stick. It'll play, you know. Yeah. Um, not a high strikeout, you know, high strikeout rate at all. Um, and you know, pressure situations, he rises to the top, and that is a, you know, that is a solid attribute to have. I mean, we talk about, you know, you can talk about clutch being a, a made up thing, um, but you know, with runners in scoring position, it is a thing. You know, there are guys that, that function better in that role. And, uh, you know, like Larry Garcia. Um, I was actually going to go a little bit further back than Larry <laughs> and talk about uh, a former uh, White Sox shortstop slash utility man in, in Jose Valentin, who, you know, never really had the highest batting average in no. OPS. But, man, you put somebody on base and he found a way to move guys around. Yeah, I mean, I was going to go like with like Bryce Harper, who's like three, you know, okay. hit, who hits like three sixty <laughs> with guys and three seventy with guys in scoring position. But we can we can. Go I there was just too. thinking closer home. I was yeah. thinking closer to home. You know, Fair. you know, Jose right, Valentin right had that clutch gene. Yeah. Uh, oh he yeah. Had so, the gene. So uh, also brought up in chat, uh, Rafael Alvarez just signed with the White Sox. Uh, Cuban guy. Um, I think he defected in January or February of this year. Um. 17-year-old Cuban kid. I mean, I don't really know too much about him uh, other than, uh, you know, he got a 300000 signing bonus. Um, yeah, other than that, I don't know a ton about him. It's going to be one of those things that it's going to be until I see, you know, DSL footage of him and stuff like that uh, until I can, you know, see him play a little bit before I can get a, a firm grasp of what we're looking at. But, the, you know... You know, yeah, it's uh, the link posted in the uh, in the chat of the uh, the Francis Romero uh, tweet from earlier today about him signing. Um, yeah, so the mustachio meter, yes, old Manos. Um, yeah, so uh, I don't pretty solid. Uh, thanks for everybody coming and hanging out in the chat. It's been a uh, it's been a banger of a chat all night long. It's been fun. It has. Um, yeah, so we got 10 more rounds of drafting tomorrow. So, uh, you know, we will cover that and post all that stuff on uh, the the Twitters. Um, yeah, no, I, I saw the video in the Twitter link. I mean, but, you know, like, what are we really looking at here? What are we looking at as far as the competition goes? You know, I, I'll have to delve into them farther. I, I, you know, to be honest, today was all about the draft for me, not a whole lot about uh, – that guy who I'm not going to see for, you know, other than like uh, if, uh, you know, Andy Barquette is nice enough to drop some footage of him in uh, on Twitter. Am I going to see this guy for the next year? So um, <laughs> finally a positive show. You guys are too negative. Yeah, I heard somebody else uh, got slapped with the uh, the most negative podcast slash, you know, whatever in White Sox Twitter and – I take offense to that because we've been really, really negative, and I think that we should take uh, that crown. You know, but uh, hey, you know we're two crotchety middle old middle aged men. You know I don't want to say crotchety old men yet, but we're just passionate, is what it is. We're passionate about our White Sox. We're Absolutely. passionate about the the BS that we've been sold over and over again. Because let's just call it what it is. 
And yeah. that's as negative as I'm going to be this week. Yeah, no, this week, you know, we talked a little bit about uh, a little of the TLR stuff. And, you know, we had a little bit of talk about it. But uh, for the most part, you know, I think that this was actually a very, very po- – I mean, for, by our standards, certainly this has been a very positive show. So I, I take great pride in the fact that I can call this positive. And if this is not a positive show, if you don't look at, as a, at this as a positive show, well, you clearly haven't been listening. <laughs> Hey, you know what? You can call me Waffle if you want about uh, you know my outlook on this team. But I have said since the beginning of the season that uh, you know, bad or good, I'm I'm going to be a fan of the White Sox. But I'm going to call them out for whatever what it is I'm seeing. And you know, if the team changes, I'm going to change along with them. That's just how it is. I'm not waffling. I am riding the wave that this team provides me. Uh, speaking of waffling, uh, are you a pancakes or a waffles guy? Hey, that's a tough question, man. Uh, I mean, uh, por qué no las dos? As, yeah, uh, as I mean, he would, uh, you know, there was that uh, commercial with the little girl with the tops of soft tacos and the crunchy tacos. <laughs> why not both? <laughs> yeah, well, why not both? But uh, if you if you were if you had a gun to your head, which one are you choosing, waffles or pancakes? Waffles. Hmm. You're one of those guys, huh? Yeah. Let's see. I said, go ahead, call me a waffle. <laughs> Pancakes for life says pusher robot. And you know what? Uh I'm I'm right there with you, pusher robot, because uh I'm a pancakes guy. Uh I do the enjoy pancakes are easier. The pancakes are easier, you know, at home to make. I eh, that's about the same. The only uh... difference is I gotta bust out the waffle iron. Yeah, that's the only thing with the waffles is that you just bring out the thing that you pour the batter in and then you just close the lid and then it beeps at you and you know that your waffles are done. Pancakes are an art. And not to mention making a tasty pancake is, there's there's an art to it. Um, just, you know, of my personal opinion. Um, I did, I, I will say though that I, uh, after having this uh, conversation yesterday about waffles versus pancakes, um, I did watch the uh, Mitch Hedberg, uh, Conan O'Brien, you know, like uh, his appearance on Conan O'Brien where he talked about uh, waffles having, you know, syrup pockets. And, uh, you know, I can I can appreciate that. But if I had a gun to my head, I'm sticking with red, red apple pancakes and enjoying the cinnamony goodness of a red apple pancake. Listen, they're they're I mean they're they're neck and neck for me. The batter is pretty much the same unless you decide to tweak it one way or another. But uh, you know, I am one of the uh I am one of the advocates of the, the sauce and, and syrup pockets. You know, you can do pretty much the same thing with pancakes as you can do a waffle, so uh you know, I like both. And that's I'm gonna leave it at that. And now I'm hungry. Think I'm gonna go make some pancakes. Yeah, you know I, I'm just gonna throw this out there. Um, you know I opened up a uh, Pandora's box here. I'm getting asked about uh, potato pancakes and waffle fries, and uh, I think that we'll save that one for the next uh, the next stream. Uh, we'll go with uh, fry shapes and uh, you know potato pancakes slash uh, waffle fries, and we'll we'll we'll, uh, we'll mull that one over over the week. Um, I think that, uh, one of these powder keg issues is enough. Um, waffles versus pancakes is definitely, um, one of those ones that will, uh, separate a room. Um, we will, we will definitely marinate on that and, uh, I'll have to get back to you. We'll, we'll do, we'll take a couple minutes next week to uh, do a small segment. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think that'll be fun. Um, go ahead and post the, uh, the old socials in the chat here. Um, yeah, post them in the chat and then you can read them. So you yes, don't forget. And now I can read them. So I do <laughs> not forget. You're absolutely right. Uh, our Twitter handle is at daily white Sox. If you like minor league white Sox information and highlights, that is a good place to go. Uh, we post a lot of content there. A lot of content. More than anybody else. More than anybody else. Um, By a long way. Yep, 
The website is whitesoxdaily.substack.com. And we have a YouTube channel, which uh, I'm not saying that link, but we have a YouTube, and it's on our Twitter profile. Uh, And right after this, I'm going to put it in our Twitch profile as well, because I keep on forgetting to do that. But um, Grimtall always gives me a hard time about that, that I don't have it in the profile. So I'm going to go ahead and put that there. Um, but I uh, Grimtall's been keeping us honest for a year now. So he has. And paying um, the bills. You know, um, he's been, you know, trying to keep me honest for, man, like 30 years now. <laughs> so um, anyway, uh, thanks for coming and hanging in the chat, everybody. Thanks for uh, hanging out for our draft episode. Uh, well, the first draft episode, because we're going to go over rounds uh, 10 through 20 or 11 through 20. Uh, next week, we'll go through that. We'll probably go through it quicker because it's going to be. Uh, you know, a week after, but I definitely want to talk about it at least, and at least, uh, you know, bang through it really quick. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll talk about the, uh, the all-star game that's coming up. Uh, Hey, Giggities, how you doing? Thanks for popping in. Hey. Um, you know, we'll talk about the, uh, the Tim Anderson and Liam Hendricks experience at the all-star game. And, uh, hopefully, uh, we get some positive run on that. Uh, we'll see. Um, Obviously, no Dylan Cease there, uh, but uh, you know, womp, womp. yeah, that uh, that's not good. But uh, you know, we'll take who we can get. We got we got two guys on the team, so that's pretty good. Um, yeah, so uh, we'll talk. Uh, we've about also that. been talking. We've been talking about uh, you know between the two of us here, uh, outside of the of the chat or outside of the stream slash pod. Uh, we've been talking about maybe uh, touching. On our uh, preseason old predictions segment that we did way back when. I think we're going to revisit that. We'll take just, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on it, but we'll revisit a little bit. We'll see, uh, we'll kind of remind everybody how close or how far we were here at the midway point and what the chances of some of those bold predictions still coming true might be, uh, along with uh, maybe making some new predictions, seeing where the team is now. So. Yep. That should be a fun segment as well. Yeah, that'll be next week. And then uh, also we'll have, uh, you know, we've got the, uh, oh, wow, Soto is now the second youngest derby winner by a day. By a day. So who's the other guy? Yeah, I was going to say, who's the first? Um, Don't leave us hanging here. Yeah, that's, uh, you got to give us that that second factoid here. Um, Yeah, so we'll talk about that. We'll also have, uh, you know, we'll be talking about the, Series with uh, the Guardians coming up here after uh, the All Star break. It's a big one, yeah. We'll be talking about that. There's another double header in there, so uh, we'll have plenty of stuff to talk about next week. Yeah. Uh, stand by. I don't know who Stand by is. Yeah, but he but must this, have been uh, young. This upcoming, <laughs> <laughs> this uh, this upcoming series against the uh, against the Guardians is uh, for me the biggest test of the season. Uh, again, we spoke about this a little bit earlier in the show, but you know we can talk about splitting with uh, Cleveland in Cleveland, and we can talk about the three out of four in Minnesota. But uh, this is really going to be the, the the series at home against the Indians. If the bats can wake up and the Sox can do some things and start winning at home, that's going to solidify my uh, my positive uh, swing for this team. Fair enough. Uh, the next aim for uh, another aim for next week is I'm going to try and get uh, redemptions for these channel points here. I know that it's uh, something that people, well, at least Grimtall's tried to get me uh, get me honest about, and I keep on putting it off. But uh, there'll be some some fun stuff on there as well. I'm sure I'll figure something out. Uh, it'll be like a show and tell thing. I'm sure. Yeah, something and I'll like tell that. you what. Uh, next week as well. I haven't done it in a while. Uh, you know, I, to be honest with you, I've just kind of forgotten about it a little bit. But uh, it was basically doing a, a gifted sub once a month. Mm. And I haven't done it the last three months here. So next week, come back. I will be gifting a sub to somebody in the chat. Somebody in the chat. Somebody, somebody in the chat will be getting a free subscription for a month. Somebody will be getting the wonderful Jose Abreu emote in their... Uh in their Twitch account and you know, not for nothing. Um, one cool thing about Twitch emotes that, uh, the other stream sites do not have is that the emotes that you get 
on Twitch, you can use in uh, regular text conversations as well. So if you want to, uh, you know, you have your iPhone and you just scroll over, you know, like where you would see GIFs and, uh, you know, all that stuff, photos and stuff on your, your toolbar, you can choose Twitch and you can put your emotes in your conversation. So you could have a nice smiley MVP toe. So um, Juan Gon was the youngest. How do you like that? Juan Gonzalez, huh? No kidding. Speaking of all right. juicy juice. Um, all right. Well, thanks so much for uh, for coming and hanging out in the chat and watching and supporting us. And uh, we appreciate it. We appreciate all you guys for coming in here. It's been a, been a fun night. Um, my name is Ian Eskridge. For my co-host, the Danny Miller. This has been White Sox Daily Live, and we will catch you guys next Monday. Yeah, you have a good night too, Pusher. We will see you guys next week, Monday night, 9 p.m. Have a great night. Thanks.